0: Welcome to the first episode of MMI Podcast, Medicine and Wellness. I'm Gweneth, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the wonderful probiotics. Today, it is our honour to have Dr. Madhu here, a medical officer who specialised in geriatric medicine, who has also obtained a Master's Degree in Natural Medicine and Yoga Sciences in India, and a Diploma in Lifestyle and Dietary Sciences, as well as the author of the book, The Wonderful Probiotics. So in our discussion later, we will be gaining a deeper insights of what probiotics are and the importance of it. Let us welcome Dr. Madhu. Hi. Hi. How are you doing, doctor?
1: I'm good, thanks. Hope you're all well.
0: Yeah, you too. So, um, doctor, before we begin, can you please enlighten us on what exactly probiotics are?
1: So, the word probiotics comes from the Latin word pro, which means for, and the Greek bios, which means life. So, it means for life. The World Health Organization's definition of probiotics is live microorganisms when administered in recommended amounts bestows a health benefit on the host. Now, our body has millions of bacteria naturally living on various parts of our skin, mucous membranes, and even in our intestines. Earlier, they used to be called common cells, meaning those which live in us. But in 1908, a Russian scientist named Eli Mechnikov reported for the first time the positive role played by certain bacteria to health. Mechnikov was studying a drink known as the elixir of life, and he noted that fermented milk products had anti-aging health benefits. He found an organism in it, which he named as Lactobacillus bulgaricus, Lacto means milk, bacillus, it was a bacillus, and because the drink came from Bulgaria, he called it Bulgarius. Uh, Mechnikov won the Nobel Prize for his research and is called the father of probiotics. We now know that our gut microbiome is actually evolved as humans have undergone evolution and have shaped and interacted with our body for thousands of years They influence our physiology and they actually have a metabolic activity equal to a virtual organ within an organ.
0: Thank you, doctor, for your explanation. It certainly sounds like an amazing discovery by Meshnikov. At a time when bacteria were rightly regarded as harmful to the body, and yet he actually had the confidence to continue on with his research. However, it seems that this sentiment has stayed on till now and many still believe in the myth that all bacteria are harmful. Since these bacteria are already present in our body, does probiotic require for all people?
1: Well, uh, it is not present in our body at birth. When we are born, the baby's intestines are sterile. But during normal delivery, the baby gets exposed to many microbes in the birth canal and the maternal skin. And by the age of three to four days, the baby's gut microbiota composition resembles that of the colostrum and breast milk. By about the age of three, the composition of intestinal microbiota become like normal adult humans and they become relatively stable depending on the diet of the person. What do we mean by this? Now, microbiologists have known for a long time that different diets create different gut flora. So, human microbiota are composed of bacteria, yeasts, and viruses, and they survive on undigested food that reaches our large intestine or colon. And it has been seen that eating mainly a plant based diet supports the probiotic microbes. But our microbes can change incredibly fast in the human gut. So if we have a big shift in what we eat, within 3 or 4 days,
0: the microbiome can change. Mm. So human and certain bacteria actually need each other to coexist. Since the human microbiota consists of so many microorganisms, are there different types of probiotic bacteria? So different types of probiotics have different functions in
1: the human body and there are many different types of strains. So there are bacteria like Lactobacillus, Bifidobacter, uh, Lactococcus, Enterococcus, Streptococcus and Prevotella. There are certain fungi like Saccharomyces and Many plant-derived viruses also live in our gut and these in turn can change the resident bacterial flora. So our gut microbiomes not only depend on what we eat but also on the geographical location in
0: the world where we live. Wow, that is surprising to know. I wonder how they really work in our body? So the Probiotic
1: microorganisms, they live in a symbiotic or a give-and-take relationship with us. If we give them the right food to eat, they thrive and give us many benefits in return. As I mentioned earlier, these microorganisms survive on the insoluble fibers that we eat but cannot digest. To recap our knowledge of carbohydrates, this food group can be divided into monosaccharides, disaccharides, oligosaccharides, and polysaccharides. So plant polysaccharides are of two types. Plant starches, which are digestible staple cereals that we get our energy from, like rice, bread, and those starches which are resistant to digestion, like pectins, dextrins, and gums. And there are also the non-starch polysaccharides. These used to earlier be called fibers, but they're now called NSPs. And they are complex carbohydrates that we humans cannot digest. They are the soluble types like inulin, fructans and glucans and the insoluble fibers like cellulose, hemicellulose and lignans. Now these indigestible starches and NSPs are called prebiotics because they feed the useful probiotic bacteria living within us. So probiotic bacteria can act in our body by themselves and prevent pathological disease causing harmful bacteria from colonizing our intestines and they also produce from the prebiotics we feed them, they produce short-chain fatty acids and the benefits of probiotics in the rest of the body is through these SCFAs or short-chain fatty acids that are produced in our large intestine.
0: That sounds really interesting. So why we well, eat definitely matters. What therapeutic effects does probiotic have? Obviously there are many
1: therapeutic effects that are produced by probiotic microorganisms. That's why they are called probiotics. You have certain direct effects like competitive inhibition of pathogenic bacteria. They can upregulate intestinal water and electrolyte absorption, especially calcium. They enhance the intestinal immune response. They prevent colon cancer by improving the health of the colonocytes or the cells lining the colon. Now, we know that plant phytochemicals like polyphenols have antioxidant benefits, but we absorb them quite poorly. But gut bacteria can increase their bioavailability. And of course, the most important is production of short-chain fatty acids. Now, there are three main types of short-chain fatty acids produced by probiotic bacteria, the acetate, propionate, and butyrate. And they are absorbed into the portal and systemic circulations. Benefits via their CFAs are butyrate is a major source of energy for the colonocytes and protect again against colon cancer. SCFAs are absorbed into the portal circulation and they regulate the balance between fatty acid synthesis and lipolysis, especially on the visceral adipose tissue. And this causes a reduction in the concentration of free fatty acids in the blood. Butyrate also decreases the transformation of primary to secondary bile acids. Now, this reduces the absorption of bile acids, and therefore, there is less bile acids. In the, circula- in the enterohepatic circulation. So now the liver has to make more bile acids and so it uses up more cholesterol from the blood. This reduces serum cholesterol as well. So SCFAs can reduce obesity related inflammation by inhibiting the pro inflammatory horm- hormones secreted by visceral fat. They can inhibit the proliferation and activation of some T cells and prevent allergy and autoimmunity. Then SCFAs increase in incretin hormones PYY and GLP-1 via activation of receptors. As you know, GLP-1 regulates insulin release and slows stomach motility. PYY stimulates the brain satiety center, thereby making us feel full for longer. So these actions can help prevent metabolic syndrome. Via regulation of the gut-brain axis, SCFAs can regulate brain chemistry. So they reduce the stress response and anxiety and can improve memory as well.
0: Wow, I never knew probiotics has such great effects on the body. So in what kind of conditions would they be useful as treatment? So when we speak of treatment, it means using
1: supplements as medicine. Okay, so when do we use probiotic supplements? They're most commonly used in the treatment of different diarrheas like acute infectious diarrhea, traveler's diarrhea, and antibiotic-associated diarrhea. We are also effective in the treatment of the chronic phase of inflammatory as well as irritable bowel disease, H. pylori infection. Helicobacter pylori causes peptic ulcer and gastric cancer, as you know, and it is even used for simple constipation and prevention of colon cancer. Now, they have been useful in preventing atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease because they reduce cholesterol, autoimmune diseases, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes. Research from the Washington University School of Medicine at St. Louis, USA, have revealed that cancer patients undergoing radiotherapy or chemotherapy who take probiotics before the procedure have reduced incidence of radiation and chemotherapy-induced diarrhea as well. Lactobacillus rhamnosus was used in this study. In one interesting study, three groups of two-year-old children were studied over a period of their two years of growth. Now, those toddlers with a higher number of bacteria in their stools actually showed better cognitive development at two years of age. This is probably through the inference of the gut-brain axis. In another study, depressed women who were given probiotic supplements felt better than their control group who had none. Even intestinal worms can help. In a study done in Malaysia right here, patients who had Trichuris Swiss or whipworm infestation, the population of good bacteria was significantly higher and so this led
0: to a reduced incidence of Crohn's disease. The benefits are plenty. Should we be worried about any side effects? Are there any certain cases where probiotics shouldn't be taken? Immunosuppressed people, for example? Hmm, that's a good question. Now, generally speaking, no naturally
1: occurring probiotic bacteria have been seen to cause any dangerous side effects. Live microorganisms from fermented foods have been used for centuries without causing illness in people. Most probiotic side effects tend to be mild, such as gas or bloating when they first start taking it. However, probiotic safety for genetically modified strains that are used in supplements need FDA approval as food products. The safety of each strain needs to be guaranteed and strictly monitored. An important study on the use of probiotics for patients suffering from acute pancreatitis, a significantly higher mortality was observed for the probiotic group than for the placebo group. In another study, Pre-term infants who were supplemented with probiotics developed sepsis. Therefore, probiotic supplementation should be used with caution in populations who are at risk. Who are the at-risk people? So those who are on anti-rejection medication after organ transplant, those taking immunosuppressive drugs for autoimmune disease or those on corticosteroids and cancer chemotherapy, Patients with structural heart disease, valve abnormalities, or valve replacement. Patients with a history of infective endocarditis. The presence of active intestinal perforation or leak. Active intestinal disease like acute colitis. The presence of neutropenia or a low white cell count. Patients suffering from AIDS and preterm infants. We should not give supplemental probiotics to these
0: people. So probiotics certainly gives us a lot of benefits. But we should still be careful in certain conditions. Alright, let's move on to the next question. We would like to understand a bit more about the food intake that induces probiotics. What kind of food can we reach in probiotics? Can we rely solely on food to achieve the amount of probiotic we need? Or is it better to use supplements instead?
1: Well. Probiotics are available in two main forms, as you mentioned, food and dietary supplements. Now, dietary supplements are, of course, regulated by the FDA, as I mentioned earlier. Let's look at the dietary sources of probiotics. These are fermented food products. Common foods that we all eat that contain probiotics are curd, yogurt, live or active cheeses, buttermilk, yogurt drinks, kimchi or sauerkraut. And soy sauce. Other foods which are rich in probiotics are kefir, a fermented Turkish milk drink, kombucha, a Chinese mushroom drink, and miso, a Japanese soup. I'm sure you've all tried these foods sometime or the other. But remember that if you cook probiotic foods, you can lose the bacteria and fungi since they are live organisms. So studies have shown that bacteria in our intestines can change within hours of de- depending on what we eat. So if we eat a lot of sugars and simple starches and meats, we change our intestinal bacteria to pro-inflammatory types like Clostridium. Now, these bacteria are capable of proteolytic fermentation and they create branch chain fatty acids, unlike the short chain fatty acids we talked of earlier. And this is created from amino acid degradation. Now, BCFAs can increase the risk of atherosclerosis, colon cancers, and autoimmune disease. So we need to have good bacteria in our system to maintain our health and immunity. But naturally, to feed the good bacteria, we have to eat a mainly plant-based diet. But we don't need to take extra probiotics. When we take a lot of fiber, the good bacteria have lots of food. And their numbers increase. So we don't really need to take a continuous source of probiotics. Only eat healthy. But how about supplements? When do we need to take supplements? Well, if you buy supplements, they come in tablet, powder, capsule, or liquid forms. So they're readily available in the market. But remember, some brands require refrigeration. Some need to be stored in a dark, cool place. So you must know where to keep them. And when do we need them? They should only be used in the treatment of disease, as mentioned earlier. Supplements can be prescribed if indicated by evidence-based medical guidelines.
0: Hmm. Besides the benefits that you have mentioned earlier, is it also alright for us to have it if we have indigestion? Oh yeah, it can be used for indigestion.
1: Because, you know, if I suddenly change my diet and I go from a low fiber to a high fiber diet, I might get a lot of flatulence at first because I have, don't have enough probiotics in my intestine to digest it. And as I said, we can't digest these fibers ourselves. But as my gut microbiome changes, my body will gradually adjust. So for this purpose, natural probiotic sources are sufficient. We don't need to take supplements.
0: So, we hear about the goodness of probiotics in our digestive system. Are they useful to other parts of the body? There are allegations that they can cure skin allergy and vaginal issues too. So, is it true? Um, well, probiotics have been successful in the treatment of
1: some autoimmune skin conditions like atopic dermatitis, psoriasis and lupus, but only as an adjunct therapy, not as the sole therapy. They can also prevent and cure mild vaginal candidiasis in young women and they have helped to prevent allergic conditions of the respiratory tract like hay fever. But studies have shown that it is ineffective in the treatment of asthma, so don't prescribe it for asthma.
0: Okay, Doctor, this has suddenly occurred to me but is there a possibility that people might develop any allergic reaction towards probiotics?
1: Yeah, now that is an important thing to know because anything can cause allergy. But remember that natural probiotic foods are not known to cause allergies. But because they come from milk, if somebody is already allergic to milk, they shouldn't have it. But by itself, lactobacilli can help prevent seasonal allergies. There are certain things to consider about supplements like the coloring or the capsule content of the supplement may trigger an allergic reaction in some people and so they must immediately stop taking that particular preparation.
0: Okay, what about patients who are on medications for example hypertensive patients who are on ACE inhibitor? Does it interfere with the bioavailability of drugs? Yeah, okay, probiotic and
1: prebiotic foods are usually can be safely consumed with any medicine. However, if the source is a milk product, like if you're taking a naturally, uh, natural probiotic, remember that dairy by itself can reduce the absorption of certain medicines like thyroid medication, like some antibiotics like doxycycline. So the doctor must explain this to the patient. Supplemental probiotics are often combined with antibiotics to prevent antibiotic-induced diarrhea. So there's no problem about
0: taking them. Alright, that was our last question. Before we conclude our episode, Tatamadu, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? Okay, so to conclude, probiotics are really a wonderful food
1: and they are useful in making and keeping us healthy. However, remember that just taking probiotics will provide many benefits. The main benefits come from the production of SCFAs. So we need to give our probiotics the fiber food that they need if we want to see any long-term benefits of this brilliant food. So make sure you feed your probiotics right.
0: So that's all for today. Thank you Dr. Madhu for joining us and thank you everyone for tuning in. If you are interested in our talks, please follow and evaluate our podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Please let us know if you have any questions for our speaker by leaving a comment on the Malaysian Medics International MMI page. See you! Bye!